Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Life Study emphasizes the capital L life that can be found in the scriptures. Jesus himself said in John 6:63, "The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life." This is the fruit of over 70 years of ministry by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Watchman Nee began his ministry in China in the 1920s and it continued until his imprisonment and eventual martyrdom in the 1970s. Witness Lee brought this ministry to the United States in 1962 and began speaking these life study messages in 1974, completing it in 1995. To find out more, you can visit our website, lifestudy.com. Again, that's lifestudy.com. Now, let's join today's program. Let me pose a question that at first may seem quite simple, but in reality is not so simple. Who killed Christ? As I said, it seems simple enough. We know he was placed on the cross by Roman soldiers at the instruction of the corrupt Roman politicians, but this was done by the instigation of subtle religious leaders. So who killed Christ? Well, as we will discover today in our life study of Luke chapter 23, we have to see that the real hand behind the scenes may have been the righteous and holy God himself. Dick Taylor has joined us for, I think, a marvelous fellowship, a portion of uh, the Bible that I think all Christians love. But our view today will be really elevated, won't it, Dick? Surely will, Chris. And praise the Lord for this ministry to open up this aspect of the Lord's wonderful redeeming death. Dick, we want to spend our time today and really focus on this tremendously significant and important question. Who killed the man-savior, and why did he have to die? Who was it that actually killed him? We know that he was persecuted by religion, that he was actually hung on the cross by uh, the Roman authorities, as we mentioned a moment ago. And even in some circles, you'll hear, Dick, that he was killed really by our sins. As Christians, we need to know the answer to these questions, don't we? We surely do. And so that's why I am so grateful again, Chris, for this ministry, because we have been brought back to the Word accurately, thoroughly, properly. And I'd like to just read a verse at this point, Chris, from Luke 1, 3. Mm -hmm. It's from Luke himself speaking. It seemed good to me also, having carefully investigated all things from the first. Isn't this precious? Yes. So to get the answer to the question that you're asking, we really need to get into the Word accurately and have some thorough investigation. This ministry has brought us into an accurate view of who actually killed Christ. Dick, uh, as we get into it today, I think a background piece of information, just to remind our listeners, as I uh, mentioned, I think most believers, most Christians are at least familiar with the story. Uh, they may not know, you know, the actual verses by memory, but we'll bring out the ones that are uh, really meaningful. But as a bit of background, the Lord Jesus was placed on the cross for a six-hour period beginning at nine o'clock in the morning. It was called in biblical times the third hour of the day, and their day started at six, and so that we know then it was nine o'clock in the morning. Right. And he hung there for six hours uh, from nine until noon, a three-hour segment. 
and then another segment from noon until 3 o'clock. And to see these two segments will really help us today, won't it? Surely will. We need to see accurately what took place in both segments. All right, let's read a couple of these verses. We're in chapter 23. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 35 and read three verses. And the people stood by looking on, and the rulers also sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. This is the activity, Dick, going on in this first three-hour segment. Mm. Why don't we join Witness Lee? I'd like to uh, speak something quite crucial concerning the Lord's death. Through the history of 20 centuries, a large study about the Lord's death. For what purpose he died? And who was the real killer? He died for what? And who killed him? Many of the Christians do not know quite well what was the cause of his death. And uh, even so many Christians really don't know who killed Jesus. He, in the first three hours on the cross, from 9 o'clock to 12 noon, he suffered the persecution of man. Then he suffered the judgment of God for sinners to accomplish his vicarious death for them. The first aspect is that he was suffering man's persecution. The second aspect is that he was suffering God's judgment for the sinners to accomplish the vicarious death for these sinners. It's quite different. One is man's persecution, and the other is God's judgment. You can see, in the first few hours, he was there, a martyr, not a redeemer. But in the last three hours, from 12 through 3 in the afternoon, he was a redeemer. He was no more a martyr suffering men's persecution. But he became the Redeemer, suffering God's judgment for us, the sinners. Verse 44 says, And darkness came over the whole land. Who can do this? Pilate can do this? The Roman soldiers can do this? High priest can do this? Who can bring the darkness? No one but God. And this was an indication that from 12 noon, the sixth Roman hour, the righteous God came in to judge man's Redeemer. He was there dying as our substitute, as the very unique and universal substitute of all mankind. Well, Dick, Pilate and the Roman soldiers and even the Jewish leaders that were conspiring with them could do a lot. They could hang the Lord Jesus on the cross. They could mock him. They could persecute him, as we saw. But there's some things they just couldn't do. Uh, That was quite a marvelous point. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the program. But I was intrigued by one statement here. Let me ask you about this. During the first three hours, he was a martyr, not a redeemer. In the second three hours, 
he became our redeemers. Uh, that's a, a very profound uh, look at this six-hour stretch, isn't it? It really is, Chris. And and I like the utterance our brother gave that during these first three hours, he was suffering man's persecution. Yes. In this aspect, he was suffering as a martyr. But the second three hours, he was suffering God's judgment for sinners in order to die a vicarious or substitutionary death for them. So there is a difference in these two sections of three hours. Mm-hmm. But this first section of three hours, he was not suffering as the Redeemer, but he was suffering as a martyr. And it's really interesting when you study this thoroughly to see all the parties involved. Uh, You see the Jewish leaders, what were they doing? They were ridiculing. Yes. Then you see the Roman soldiers, what were they doing? They were mocking him. Right. And then you see one of the criminals. I'd like to read one verse from Luke 23. It says this, And one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Mm. Isn't that something? Wow. So the Jewish leaders ridiculed, the Roman soldiers mocked, the criminal blasphemed, and the crowd in general made fun. And it's interesting to notice, Chris, that during these first three hours, he actually never died. That's right. It wasn't until the second three hours that he actually died. Dick, I was just going to allude to that as we prepare to go to this next segment. Many have suffered as martyrs. Many Christians, many dear believers, many men of great men and women of faith have died through the centuries as martyrs for Christ. Had the Lord died at that midpoint, that three-hour point, that's what he would have been, a martyr. That's right. But as you pointed out, all of the religious leaders, all of the political leaders uh, and the crowd, the soldiers, they could put him on the cross, but they couldn't kill him. That's right. They could not kill him, and they could not satisfy God's righteous demand. So now we are at the midpoint, and everything changes, Dick. And we pick it up at verse 44. And now it was about the sixth hour, or 12 noon, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour the sunlight's failing, and the veil of the temple was split down the middle. Another component of the Lord's death, and the most important component, is about to be unveiled. I hope our listeners are all able to pay good and clear attention to what we're about to hear. Here's Witness Lee again. Actually, the persecutors didn't kill him. From 9 o'clock to noon time, within those three hours, he was still living. He didn't die. He was not killed by these persecutors. He was only persecuted by them. Eventually, who killed him? God came in. The sign was a kind of a universal darkness came over the whole land. John was there. Surely Peter was there. And those were all there. They saw the darkness came over the whole land, not just over Mount Zion. Jerusalem, but the whole land. Who did that? God did that. This was a sign that God came in to judge. This was not man's doing. Then, verse 45, the sun's light failing. No sunshine. Who called back the sunshine? No one can do this. Only God. And the veil of the temple was torn down the middle. Matthew says, from the top to the bottom. If I saw something done by man from the bottom up to top, 
by what then by God from the top to the bottom. So we see three things. Darkness came in, the sunshine was called back, and the veil in the temple was purposely torn down right in the middle by God himself. All these three signs are symbols to prove to us that from 12 noon till 3 o'clock in the afternoon, God came in to judge this Redeemer who was dying there as our substitute. And his death is called the vicarious death. The death not for himself, but for others. That's us. Accomplished by him on the cross under God's judgment. Dick is an unbeliever. I remember as a young person pondering this question, why did God forsake him at that precise moment? This just didn't seem logical to me. If this was the Son of God, I would consider God should have been coming to him to comfort him. But yet, uh, we're really seeing here that something else is going on involving God, and God had to forsake him, didn't he? And we have some proof here that God did forsake him. We surely do, Chris. And here we see the difference between the first three hours and the second three hours, and especially by these two signs. The first sign is that the darkness came over all the land. And as you and I were fellowshipping earlier, perhaps that darkness came over the entire inhabited earth. What kind of impression would the people of the earth have? It gets completely dark in the middle of the day, no light at all. It's as if the sun says the sun was darkened or the sun went out. Yeah. Uh, Something was really happening here. And this indicates that God himself came in. This is one of the signs. The fact that the sun was darkened, was completely dark, indicates God himself came in. Right. Pilate or none of the Romans or even the Jewish leaders could have done that. That's right. No human being could put the lights out. <laughs> so this was God himself. The second thing was, as Luke says, the veil was rent down the middle, but Matthew and Mark indicate that the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. Now, if we tore the veil, we would probably tear it from the bottom to the top. But it says top to bottom, indicating that God is the source of this veil being torn. And this veil signifies the separating flesh. We have to say, again, a million, zillion hallelujahs, because the Lord, who was being judged by God at this point, who was in the likeness of the flesh of sin, and we'll touch this a little later in the broadcast, was dying under the judgment of the righteous God during these three hours. And the veil signifying the flesh, the sinful flesh, was being rent. No more separation between God and man. The righteous God was taking care of the problem judicially. Yes. Through his judgment of his son that man and God could be made one and be brought into the full enjoyment of one another. So this is really precious to see that this second three hours, signified by these two signs, the darkness and the veil being rent from top to bottom, indicate this is God himself. And nobody could make it dark like that. No one could rip the veil from top to bottom, only God. So this is his coming in, And this is his side of the judgment, 
and this is for the accomplishment of redemption through a wonderful, universal Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Dick, we began the program today with this question, who killed Christ? And now I think we realize the Romans, uh, the Jewish leaders, they could persecute. They could even make him a martyr, but it was not they that could kill him. That's right. It was God himself that killed him. And part two of the question, why did he have to die? That's what we're touching a little bit. We'll really zero in on that in this last portion. A couple of verses we want to point out. He will refer to them in a general way, but I thought it good to read them. First, Isaiah 53, verse 6. Marvelous verse, isn't it, Dick? Yes. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, not only do our sins, our iniquity, fall upon him. It says, him who did not know sin, he made sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Here's Witness Lee once again. Isaiah 53 says that Jehovah put all our sins upon him. Darkness was not a positive sign. Darkness was a negative sign. Surely that signifies when darkness came in at that hour, God put all sins upon him. Isaiah 53 only tells us that God put our sins upon him, but 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made him sin. At what time? At the three hours. At the three hours from 12 noon to 3 o'clock, God made him sin. And I do believe it was at that three hours God forsake him. Right? All the time. He was God's beloved son. God had his delight in him. But at these three hours, God forsake him because God considered him as the substitute of sinners, bearing all sins, and even he was being made sin for us in the eyes of God. So he was totally a sin. On the cross. This is not according to our guessing. This is according to our study of the accurate record in the Bible. Don't forget, our sins were all put upon him. And uh, the uh, very root of our sins, that is, the sin which came from Satan into mankind's being, that is, indwelling sin. He was made the very sin, and all the fruits of this indwelling sin were put upon him. So he was there as such a one that was judged by God according to God's righteousness. It was at these three hours he was considered by God the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The world means the human race, humankind. The entire problem of sin has been 
solved by his vicarious death for us. Hallelujah. Well, Dick, these portions of uh, Scripture, Isaiah 53, 2 Corinthians, make it clear that at that moment, all the sins and iniquities of mankind were laid upon him outwardly, and even inwardly, in God's eyes, he had become sin. So in the presence of such a one, what must a righteous and holy God do? So what must he do? He must turn away. Because it's at this point, Chris, that our Christ became the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God to solve all the problems, the totality of the problem of sin. As Brother Lee said, hallelujah! This is when Christ became sin and was made in the likeness of the flesh of sin, as it says in Romans 8.3. And God judged him as our vicarious redeemer or as our substitute. These verses that you read, Chris, from uh, Isaiah, for example, says God put all the sins upon him. And in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This shows us why there was darkness. This shows us why the veil was rent from top to bottom. The darkness came because God had made him sin, and God was turning away. Sin was being judged in this wonderful Christ, the Lamb of God. And the veil was being torn. That means the barrier of sinful flesh no longer had to hinder man from being reconciled to God. Wow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And uh, sin in its totality, not just the indwelling sin nature, but even the fruit of that nature, all the sins that we commit, were being judged by this wonderful Lamb of God. Don't you love John one twenty nine, Chris? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That sin is not only the indwelling nature, but all the fruits caused by that nature. So hallelujah for this wonderful Lamb of God who took upon him the totality of sin. God judged him, and he became our universal redeemer, dying his wonderful, all-inclusive, vicarious death. What a wonderful Christ, and what a precious death. I don't know how many people over the uh, ages have been brought to the Lord through such a passage as we find here in Luke 23. Of course, it's as you said, it's in Mark 15, it's in uh, Matthew 27, all giving the account of the same most magnificent moment in the history of mankind when God laid all of our sins upon him and judged him on our behalf, and he endured and accepted God's rejection, his judgment, so that we could be, as you said in Second Corinthians 5, be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Dick, come back uh, as soon as you're able. Uh, we uh, have just marvelous messages one after another awaiting us as we get into this last stretch in the life study of Luke, and I would look forward to uh, sharing the mic with you whenever we can. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Well, we hope that uh, you have been renewed in your fresh appreciation for this uh, magnificent, all-inclusive death. Christians really need to know the answers to these questions. Who really killed Christ and why did he have to die? Uh, This printed life study, it's a classic and we would hope that you would contact us. Uh, I think it would be a great help to you even in your presentation of the gospel to your friends, your loved ones, your family, and to uh, even renew uh, this kind of appreciation among your uh, own children. 
Uh, this is not just a Sunday school story. This should be part of our everyday walk and uh, appreciation of our dear Lord Jesus. Our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And you can send email to radio at lsm.org. And for Dick Taylor today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one, and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.